Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the HR Leaders Podcast, the show where we explore the future of work with industry experts and HR executives from the world's leading global brands. Uh, today, we have a special guest on the show. We're joined by Darren Chait, who's the co-founder of Hugo and co-author of 10X Culture. Welcome to the show, Darren. How are you? Good, Chris. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for joining us. I know you've just got back from uh, an event, right? Tell us more. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us more. We were in uh, Lisbon for Web Summit. Um, we were just sharing before the show. It's uh, probably the large, the world's largest tech conference, 75,000 people taking over Portugal's capital um, just That's two insane. weeks ago. Really, really amazing experience. Definitely, well, definitely recommended. Before we jump in, tell everyone a bit about yourself personally and sure. your journey to where we are today with Hugo. Yeah, sure. I'm looking at the Australia uh, over your left shoulder um, as, as a great segue there. Um, I'm, I'm originally Australian. I actually started out as a corporate lawyer um, for one of Australia's largest law firms. Uh, moved to San Francisco, Silicon Valley three years ago to found Hugo. Hugo is a, a B2B software company. We make connected meeting notes software. Um, and uh, I'll talk a bit about that in the context of the culture later on. But that came from a pain I experienced attending meetings for a living. Literally. Literally, <laughs> literally. For people that aren't aware of Hugo, in as small as sentence as possible, what is it that Hugo does? Hugo's connected meeting notes software. We make the insights and knowledge generated in meetings shareable and actionable for the whole company, driving alignment, efficiency, and productivity around meetings. Boom, elevator pitch. <laughs> you can hear I've done it once or twice before. Just, just, just a couple, just a couple. Just a couple, so, exactly. So, so we, we connected obviously because of the book, right? 10X yeah. Culture. What was the inspiration behind 10X Culture and 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 uh, how did you collaborate with the other co-authors to, to make this Sure. It, it's actually really organic. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a 32-year-old startup founder. What do I know about culture and about HR and management? And the way the book came about with that sort of introduction is we started keeping a list of the things that were working really well for us as we built a business. Um, we started from scratch, obviously built out a team um, in a very competitive ecosystem where it's all about pace uh, and output. Um, and we were reading a lot. We were talking to a lot of people. Um, we were watching watching what our partners like Atlassian and these companies that have really great reputations of building great teams were doing. Um, and this Google Doc just started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and then as we speak to our customers, we were looking at the things they were doing, um, making meeting software. We were looking at how they were running their meetings, the impact that was having on their teams and alignment and retention and engagement and all these important facets of, of people. Um, and a few of our customers started asking us to share the Google Doc with them. And we realized that actually this little repository we were sitting on was, was hugely valuable to others. So we collated them all um, into, into the book of, uh, of stories, ideas, and tips um, for people in our shoes, building fast growing businesses uh, to, to, to practice essentially. The, the, the headline of the book is you know, the, the four, four hour meeting week and 25 yeah. other secrets uh, from innovative fast moving teams. So can you, share some of your favorite lessons that you shared in the book we'll be here a while if we have to go for all of all 25 all 25 <laughs> totally uh, i'll tell you my i'll tell you my favorite two or three I, I have to talk more about the four hour meeting week tim ferris has made the four hour work week very famous but uh at hugo we actually don't meet for more than four hours a week that's 10 percent of you know typical working weeks internally 
And the reason is we think meetings are the concept of broken with respect to what's changed in the way we work. The workplace and the way we work is nothing like it was even three, four, five years ago. Uh, remote is normal, distributed teams, the way we make decisions, the explosion of tools. The average company has 130 different bits of software powering it now. Uh, we're in a very different position. Um, so why are we meeting the same way? Um, so we at Hugo say no more than 10% of your week in internal meetings. And what that does is it elevates meetings as a forum for decision-making, discussion, idea generation. It strips out the purpose of meetings being for sharing information, keeping everyone on the same page, giving updates. We have great collaborative tools for that. There's much more efficient ways to do that in 2019. So that has made a big difference. People also come prepared. Um, they Because there's much less meetings, they obviously have more time themselves to get work done, to be introspective. Um, so that for us, that rule, um, which we set up in our calendars internally, has really, really been transformative um, for how we collaborate and work together. And people love their jobs because they've got time to have high quality conversations and get work done, not sit in the room when they didn't need to be there. Mm. So how are you, what's the format of each meeting look like? Sure. We always have an agenda. Um, and uh, the, the agenda isn't as much of uh, introducing unnecessary formality and process. It's communicating what I want to get out of the meeting and allowing other attendees to be a part of that. So when we walk into the meeting, everyone's had the opportunity to contribute to what we're going to talk about that day. So the meeting's quicker. Everyone's poured in. Everyone's engaged and everyone's going to get value out of it. So that's the agenda. We, we obviously take notes like everyone um, and the notes in your, in then, your app. <laughs> oh, of course. What a question. <laughs> yeah, we take notes in Hugo. Um, but, and, and whatever you use, whether it's Hugo or not, the notes have to then be of value to people outside the room. So we have to share them out. So everyone else in the company knows what's happening. They're, they're a part of it. They're engaged. They're included. Um, and then we turn them into actions, obviously, with a loop back to the next meeting. So that's the four-hour meeting week. Totally. Highly recommended. Honestly, one of the – I always think to myself, like my little yardstick is in my next company and, you know, the rest of my career, what are the practices and ideas that are going to be non-negotiable for me um, moving forward? And that's absolutely one of them. What's one of the other areas cool. to stand out to you? Decision-making, for sure. So the way companies make decisions for me is one of the most influential aspects of culture. Um, obviously, decisions are how we navigate and move forward, whether they're really small or really significant. Uh, but we, we we came across a concept from Shane Parrish, who's behind the Knowledge Project and Farnham Street blog, um, a really experienced practitioner who spoke about the decision journal. And we adapted that for our team. So what the decision journal is, uh, it's the concept of, of noting down the decisions you make at a point in time. If it's for yourself, maybe it's in a little notebook. And for each decision, you, you write down um, the decision you made, the rationale, so why you, why, why you made that decision, the expected outcome, what you think is going to happen, and a date to reassess. And the reason you do that is because it allows you uh, contemporaneously, without that you know, revisionist history we're all guilty of, to look back. Put yourself in the mindset of where you were when you made that decision and see what transpired to make better decisions. We socialize that. We have that in one place for the whole team. And what that's been able to do for us is achieve shared, shared consciousness. So if I make a marketing decision or a growth decision or an investment decision um, within the team, my engineers start to get a sense of how Darren thinks, how he makes decisions, what the rationale, what he's thinking about. And as a team, we start to get into each other's heads, think like each other, and we're able to make better decisions and, and, and relate to each other far better. So our shared decision log has been one of the strongest sources of alignment, 
better decision making cool. and velocity. You move faster because I know what Chris is going to say here. Can any can anyone see that? So can anyone in your team see your decision log of why you've made that decision? Yep, they can. No, ma no matter what level we are in the company, whether yep. they're a new, yep. that's really cool. Yep. Uh, what does that look practically? So do you sure. Like a, do you do it within your app or do you? How, no. how does that work? We've set up a type form um, where we ask those questions. Um, it integrates with Slack um, and it pings everyone from time to time saying any decisions you've made this week. So we don't have this annoying process where, you know, the CEO is coming and saying, hey, everyone, like time to log decisions. Um, you respond to it via Slack through you, you logs in type form. And then in our all hands every week, it surfaces the decisions that have been made. And of course, the decisions that were made a while ago that are due for review and whoever made the decision talks to it. And we all understand as a company what they're thinking, why they're thinking that way. And we get to reflect on the good and bad decisions we've all made many months ago. Yeah. Is that also part of creating a culture where failure is unpunished? Because I'm sure there yeah. are decisions that are logged and oh, made, yeah. but people don't agree with them. But that's OK. Is that yeah. is that fair to say? Exactly. Spot on. I think the best decisions, to be honest, are where executives like, like myself and my co-founder in the company may get it completely wrong because we're being vulnerable. We're showing that there was rationale. We're not just shooting from the hip all those months ago when I made that decision, but we knew what we knew. We got it completely wrong. And that's great. That's cool because now we know and uh, I'm going to make a better decision next time. So you're, you're spot on there. That's exactly that's, again, one of the strongest ways we can be vulnerable and, and show failures. Absolutely fine. Let's carry on with this, this vein as well. Um, could you talk about how the language you use as a leader, how that shapes your reality? So language is uh, is really interesting. Um, this is something I didn't think about at all. I learned this um, from a couple of our partners who, who have been very experienced in building teams. And as soon as we started experimenting with language, we saw pretty pretty amazing results. To introduce what I mean, um, with, with language, there's obviously, as we know, when we're communicating, a lot of what we're saying isn't in the actual words. Um, it's in the in-between and the tone and the voice and that. And uh, what we realized was that we can contribute to better ideas and better outcomes uh, just by tweaking some of the words we're using. So a very famous principle is uh, instead of saying no in an idea generating or, or team discussion situation, saying yes and rather than shutting shutting a concept down or someone thinking down accept it and if you don't agree add another layer on top of it in addition to it not instead of it um and that's well known the, the yes and um, way of doing things but there's so many other principles around it um if you just think about the words you're choosing the impact that has on your team you'll see quite a quite a different culture and feeling generated around uh particularly these team discussions so we're very aware now um of the language we're using um very often I will pull up um, a, a member of the team, not based on what they said in the meeting, but the way they said it. And, uh, you know, um, little things like uh, the, we give an example in the book. Um, we don't talk as a support team about dealing with a customer. Um, that's saying customers are a problem. <laughs> they often are. <laughs> but if we're just talking about <laughs> assisting the customer, enabling the customer, when, I, yeah. when that customer support rep goes to the customer, they're going and actually thinking about, being helpful, notwithstanding the customer is a problem. And really small tweaks like that are really important. Um, a lot of retail stores, Dis Disney World, for example, has always spoken about uh, their visitors um, or shoppers as guests. Yeah, that changes it. You're in my, mm. you're in my home, you're in my store. I, I want to be hospitable and welcoming. They're just people who are paying money for their goods and services, really. But that, that, that changes the way that the associates and the, and the, the staff in the store are dealing with them. 
So little things like that um, have really made a big difference uh, to, to, to the decisiveness, to how empathetic the team are, and then to the outcomes because everyone's contributing better to, to, to the conversation. You also talk about um, reframing managers as coaches and cultural guardians. I love that part yeah. within the book. So a lot of this actually comes, I think, from uh, you can call it Gen Y or, or, or whatever it is, the sort of state of, of uh, employees and, and teams and, and, and where things are today. We know, which is a really great trend, that professionals in 2019 and, and beyond um, are looking for far more than just a salary and a good job and career certainty. Um, they look personal development um, and, and skill generation and, and uh, being able to move forward is, is never been more important to our generation of professionals. If you think about the role of a manager, historically to be effective, it's been about output. Um, you know, to, to make my team uh, as effective as they can, I need them to produce as much as they can for as cheaply or as efficiently as they can. That doesn't make sense in 2019 because that's not what they're motivated by. An extra $5,000 or an extra bonus isn't, isn't what's motivating our generation of professionals. It's, it's personal development. It's making me challenged and, and learn and, and having learned more. It's making me uh, in a better position for whatever comes next in my career. So we view our managers and our responsibility as executives as a coach. How do I make my team members better about themselves and better for what they want to do? Because that's going to lead, lead them to perform better for us as a business. You know, there's a lot of obvious things, giving giving your team members free reign to do what they need to do um, and, and the difference between directing and supporting, which is a concept I think a lot about. My role as a manager isn't to direct them as much as it is to support them. If I'm supporting someone, I'm able from underneath or behind to direct them, into, you know, where, where I want them to go. But directing them is standing there and, t- and pointing and sending them on their way, not being behind them to help them move on their way. And, you know, that's a really nuanced difference, I guess. Uh, but yeah. it, 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 thinking about the role of managers in that way, um, the, way the way you run one-on-ones, um, the way you think about personal development, the way you, you look at um, a, a long, you know, look at look at things with a long-term lens uh, when you're trying to make your reports better um, is is all related to coaching as opposed to managing. You also talk about giving people objectives, not plans, right? That's probably one of my biggest lessons. I coming from corporate, I always saw the role of a manager or as an executive um, to be the know-all, uh, most senior person in the room who had the best yeah. ideas and, and the final decision making. Um, as I mentioned before, the, the the diversity of perspective and the different ideas that people bring is what you're hiring them for i mean you're spending all this money on getting great people and then you're putting them in the room telling them what they need to do so one of the biggest shifts we had to make um as as you know young inexperienced leaders at the time was to realize that we're hiring smart people we know what we want as output but why would we tell them how to do it (laughs) there's no point hiring smart people otherwise um so exactly giving the objective not not the means uh not telling them how to do it is the best way to extract value from these great people that you spend all this time and money hiring. Uh, we've already gone through meetings already. I think the other area you talk about is 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 talent and then the people that make up a 10x team. Could you talk about that? Recruiting and finding the right talent and culture fit are some of the hardest concepts. And I know you talk about this a lot on the show. I've yeah. listened to a bunch about this and learned <laughs> yeah. a lot. So no, no one's got all the answers and we haven't got it right. Um, I think the best lessons for us in building that 10x team have been a few things. Um, one is uh, hiring generalists, especially in the early days. So one of the one of the difficulties in hiring people that are so specialized um, is that they don't look or think outside the realm of what they do. 
So firstly, of course, adaptable businesses are key to success where, you know, we might build a team focused on this particular problem, um, you know, delivering great workshops. But we realize now that social and, and live video is a really great way to, to interact with our audience. But these people are only good at delivering live workshops, say. Um, now we're stuck because we can't take the business where we want to go. So finding generalists in that way, but also generalists in terms of uh, diversity of thought. Um, and perspective. I think one of the challenges of hiring exclusively in Silicon Valley is you end up with the same sort of people from the same socioeconomic background, the same gender, unfortunately, in many cases. Um, and then when we're having a, a great discussion where we're trying to relate to our customers or the strategy of the business, I don't want five me's. I want people from all walks of life who feel, yeah. look at things completely differently. Um, so we we optimize um, for that generalist, for that diversity of perspective, um, where people look at things differently, not like us. Um, the other thing we do is we optimize um, for people who can communicate in different forms. Um, we don't want the people that are great in meetings and loud and, and proud and, and great for that conversation, but can't listen, uh, can't do well chatting, can't do well um, on the phone or face-to-face, -face et cetera. Um, so we mix the format of our recruiting process. The first step when you, when you apply for a job at Hugo is to send us a video um, talking about something you're passionate about. So in product marketing, that might be your favorite bit of software. In engineering, it might be your favorite language. So we get to know you that way. Uh, we then have formal interviews. We have coffees. We have lunch together, mixing up the format to try and get to know people through those different forms. Um, that's very effective. How do you go about measuring culture fit? Um, I, I think uh, the way to test culture fit is a bit of what I mentioned, mixing up the format of conversation. So looking socially, um, you know, which might be that coffee or lunch, looking uh, professionally under pressure, looking at them individually. So that's one. Obviously uh, trying to maximize contact with the team. So different people can look at it from different perspectives. And also for, for, for the applicant too, they want to make sure that they, they fit. Um, and you know, yeah, I'm, one, I'm one personality, exactly. Um, so that's, that's one, getting meeting as many people as you can um, and, and doing that. Um, and then just having great conversation away from the job. I, I see recruiting as two things. One is skills and experience. That's easy or the easier half. And uh, you go through that process. And then culture fit is getting to know someone, finding out what they're passionate about, what they love, what they hate, what's worked, what hasn't worked, um, their favorite ideas from previous managers, the things that they didn't like that previous managers did, describing their ideal work environment um, and getting to know them as people. What makes them tick? What gets them out of bed in the morning? All these things, there's no checklist. They can't come and tell you that if they say this, they're a good fit if they're not. But you feel, it's like dating. How, how do you know when you when you go on a date? I don't have a checklist saying they're driven, they're, um, you know, I like, Some people the, do. I, they're like the outdoors. <laughs> I know, but they're, they're not the people you want to be recruiting. <laughs> I just you, think she's the one or he's the yeah. one. And, and that's what I'm doing, yeah. Did you say in the book about uh, doing a small project with them? Totally. Exactly. So trying to work with them. So you're like, this person is a good fit. I think we're going to get on well. Test it. Let's, let's go do something. Let's write something together. If they're in a marketing role, let's build a bit of software. If they're in an engineering yeah. role, let, let's look at these financial statements and help me prepare the annual report for the, you know, uh, or, or a bit of it. We'll pay you for your time. We'll get to know each other. And it's all telling. And obviously that's not always possible. I think it's a really good way of doing it though, personally. 100%. I love that. I love bringing people into the office who come in for the day. For example, if it's in sales, or spend the day with a sales team working on a particular, you know, campaign, and and then I can see how they're interacting with the team. And that's for me. That's always been one of the best ways that I can see that fit 
because it's actually doing the job at hand. Exactly. Uh, and you should work. be more excited at the end of the day about them. Not exactly. Because yeah, <laughs> normally when you hire someone, your, your greatest point of excitement in that person about that person is when you, when you hire them, um, we want people that I'm going to get to know and be more excited about over time. So as you yeah. spend time with them, it should go that way. Jax in the uh, LinkedIn said, how does your software handle and follow up with action items? We do that through integrations. We know that the average company uses 130 different bits of software and 90% of them are for one department, sales, HR, marketing, et cetera. So Shigo integrates with all your tools. So as an action item comes up, um, you go and send that out to the tool where it's relevant. So that might be Trello, Asana, your CRM, Jira, wherever work's getting done, the action items are created in that downstream tool and the status of them is kept in the meeting note. Um, so it's easy to follow up. It's easy to make sure it actually gets done. I'm not transposing action items after the meeting into the relevant tools that everyone and everyone's using. It's directly from your notes. So if I'm operating in multiple places, at least it comes back to one source. Exactly, exactly. We're gluing it all together um, with yeah. the meeting as the central source. So you're like the in-between man, woman. In-between <laughs> <laughs> in between people, exactly. Yeah, but to make, to, to make it actually make sure that the items get actioned. That's the main thing, right? And it's in, all in one place. Okay, I hope that answers your question. We're seeing more and more um, with remote work, right? How oh, do yeah. you bring those people working remotely into your culture? Yeah, so remote work is no longer a trend. Uh, more than 75% um, of US companies have at least part of their team remote. There's, there's crazy numbers out there and it's only getting greater. Um, that's a good thing. How do we do that? You need to manufacture serendipity. So what am I losing when someone's remote? I'm losing what they used to call the water cooler talk. Now it might be the beer keg talk or whatever happens <laughs> in modern companies, right? The yeah. fact that I can, I can go there and... Together. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and talk, you know, about the weekend or about something I was just thinking. Um, now it has to be a meeting scheduled or an email or a Slack message. So how do we manufacture that serendipity? Well, um, we use video very heavily at Hugo because in video, we're having a great conversation now. It's high bandwidth. You can see me getting excited. You can see me bored. You can see my body language. You can see how fast I talk. Um, whereas when that's in an email, it's very structured and regimented and, and objective driven. So yeah. we, what we do is um, all of our quick conversations are, are with video. There's great tools out there like Zoom, BlueJeans, Google Meet. I can in one in one click open up a video call poor, and be like, "Hey, Chris." Skype. No one mentions Skype anymore. Oh, yeah, not Skype. <laughs> I know. Do not, Skype. I, I love you, Microsoft, and I love you, Skype. But no one mentions yeah. Skype anymore, and I, I use know. Zoom. As, I use Zoom as well, and I know the foreword to the book is from the CEO of Zoom, right? Yeah, exactly. So, it's just yeah. it's modern. You know, it's. Zoom's it's amazing. just a modern take on it. Zoom's fantastic. Um, but if I can go and say, you know, I was just thinking a really cool idea, I can just ping Chris and be like, hey, got a sec? And, he, and he'll be like, yeah. And I'll launch a Zoom call and be like, hey, dude, got this idea. What do you think? Now, yeah. that's the stuff that happens in offices, but people are so so hesitant and reluctant to do that. But why? I, I'm very happy to tap you on the shoulder. And that's more disruptive than pinging you and saying, got two minutes and launching a video call. So um, trying to create serendipity that way is, is really important. Um, we do it asynchronously as well. Um, so I'll often record videos. There's great tools out there for that too. I mean, you can just use the QuickTime and the software on your computer or Loom and those sorts of products where at 3 a.m. when I wake up and I'm trying to explain um, something or that's worrying me or keep me up, I'll record a quick Loom video and say to the team, like, hey, team, um, I was just thinking, what do you guys think about that? Um, I love this. I don't like that. Send it. Rather, and then everyone gets to, yeah. than do it, It's so much more powerful it that way than an email though, right? 
exactly because we're humans passion, and they can hear passion, it. yeah the passion's lost the energy you know enthusiasm it's not that totally i think i'm gonna take a note to start doing that and I, it works I, the other way yeah uh, so i was gonna say what about the negative bit when, when i'm trying to give someone feedback right where i'm like oh, i still worse never give feedback by email oh exactly but you have I've made to that mistake, I've, made that, I've made that mistake before and it's, it's so bad i know you think you're doing you're doing good but no one reads no <laughs> one reads no one reads a text or an email about feedback and is motivated to go away and make change it just always comes across bad 100 percent. i've made that uh, but what choice do you have if you and i work together you're in the uk i'm on the west coast of the u.s i literally can't get 30 minutes with you some days to chat so you resort to the amazing. email yeah, yeah but to send a video. Um, great Let's job, Chris. That was awesome. But this, yeah. I really want to make, I want us to improve. And here's why. Um, and you, you get my tone as if I'm standing next to you. You can rewatch it five times. Um, and we're on the same page, even though we're on different time zones. So that's a good tip. time as well, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. Exactly. Yeah, and on, on Zoom, you can literally just hit record, right? You know, go on Zoom. It's free. Up to 40 minutes. There you go. Exactly. Hit record. There's a plug. There's a plug. It's free. Record it and just send it. Yeah, definitely. 100%. Yeah. So that's worked well for us with remote teams. And then, of course, finally, budgets permit. It is good to get to, to get together from time to time. We do off-sites uh, every now and again. And what that does, it's like syncing your watches again. So when you go away, it, it, you get to know each other better. So you can hear my tone because you know yeah. that's Darren excited. That's the Darren disappointed. That's just Darren. <laughs> he always talks this fast. He always is this animated, not that animated, whatever it may be. We get to know each other socially at a different level, which means when we're collaborating and working together professionally, you've got that shared understanding of who I am and who everyone is. So that's also recommended um, to do from time to time. You, you wrote how being remote changes time and space. Yeah. What do you mean, what do you mean by that? One of the lessons I've learned um, when I work remote or when, versus when I'm in the office is it can be very immersive um, work being remote. So if you think about someone who's in a, in a house um, or in, in their apartment or in a cafe, when they're sitting there all day, you lose track of time. The, the days blend into the nights, the personal time blends into the work time and vice versa. Um, it's very easy for uh, your for, for to lose perspective of what you're doing at work, to have a clean mind, um, to be able to stop, think about things clearly, not to be eating dinner while you're trying to still finish this work, while you're trying to do the washing, um, so you're not doing anything well. Uh, you know, our remote team members share um, all the time, the best things they do is to try and obvious things like trying to separate and having a space to work and things like that. Um, but also looking at the environment and situation in which they're working. You've got advantages. If, you, if, if you're least productive late morning, that can be your gym time. Go to the gym. Um, establish the remote environment and the remote setup that makes you best productive. Don't let remote be an excuse uh, for bad work practice and bad uh, balance and uh, work-life harmony. Yeah. Um, and that for us is it's just the risk you're at, I think, working remote. It's, I'm obviously not going to sleep in the office, not usually anyway. So why is that a very likely scenario when I work remote? And, and you need to think about that. I, I find I get sometimes getting the most work done because I've got no distractions, right? You know, no one's coming up to you to ask you a question. There's no distractions. You're just kind of in the zone. And it's very rare that, that I would then get distracted by something around the house or doing stuff like that. And also we have to trust our mm. employees uh, to, to do that. If you can't yeah. trust them to work remote and then- You shouldn't just, have hired them. You yeah. shouldn't have hired them in the first place. You've got bigger um, problems, exactly. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I think everyone's agreeing with what you're saying. And there's a lot of steps that you've, uh, an actionable advice that you've mentioned along the way. But if there's sort of one thing that you would recommend for everyone to, in terms of getting started, what would, they, what would mm -hmm. those steps be? 
in general, culture is a bit of a, a dangerous word. I think it's the case that um, it's got a bit of a it's a it's a buzzword in HR and massive. management, as we know, yeah. massive buzzword. And we were really hesitant to call the book anything with culture in it. Um, and I, I think the reason is, you know, I'll tell you perfectly. At Web Summit last week, someone comes up to me and they'd read the book and they said, "This is so great, and it's such good time to read the book because we're about to redo our culture." And I burst out laughing. It was probably a bit rude, actually. In Redo your culture. I'm nice. like, it's not your living room. Like, I'm about to repaint. And all of a sudden, everyone's going to look at things completely differently. And we're going to interact in a different way. You can't redo your culture. Your culture is a derivative of the people that, that in your business, of the practices, the personalities, the way you do things. Uh, you don't set a culture. Culture is there. So as far as getting started and answer your question, what you need to do to get started is change small behaviors. Implement some of the practices we've been talking about. Go with your decision log. Change the way you meet. Um, try to change the language of your next few meetings. Encourage one person, as you mentioned, on your sales team to start working remotely. That is what's going to change your culture. Those small things layered on top of each other is dictating the values and the way your company operates and its DNA. That's culture not rolling out a PowerPoint presentation and motivational posters all over the wall, you know, as part of a week-long project next week. Um, am I correct in saying that people can head over to your website and, and get a free cop a digital copy of the book? Yeah, so um, that's right. If you go to hugo.team, um, which is our website, forward slash 10x. Well, look, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Before we uh, part ways, what's the best way for everyone to learn more about you guys and also connect with you if they have any questions? Sure. So um, on our website, www.hugo.team, T-E-A-M. You need, you need to get an hrdleaders.team, by the way. .com is, is not for what we do. <laughs> Hugo.team. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, Darren Chait. Uh, you can see the spellings underneath there. Um, and, uh, and reach out on LinkedIn. I love having these conversations and very happy to keep the conversation going. Thanks a lot again, Darren. Bye. Thanks again. Bye. See ya.